are listening to the most original talk radio station anywhere. We are L.A. Talk Radio at latalkradio.com. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. Sapphire Planet. World War One, the Eastern Front. While the Western Front had reached stalemate, the war continued in East Europe. Initial Russian plans were called for simultaneous invasions of Austria, Galicia, and Germany's Prussia. Although Russia's initial advance into Galicia was largely successful, it was driven back from East Prussia by Hindenburg and Ludendorff at Tannenberg and the Missourian Lakes in August and September 1914. Russia's less developed industrial base and ineffective military leadership was instrumental in the events that unfolded. By the spring of 1915, the Russians had retreated to Galicia and, in May, the Central Powers achieved a remarkable breakthrough on Poland's southern frontiers. On August 5th, they captured Warsaw and forced the Russians to withdraw from Poland. The Russian Revolution Despite the success of June 1916, Brusilov's offensive in eastern Galicia, dissatisfaction with the Russian government's conduct of the war grew. The offensive success was undermined by the reluctance of other generals to commit their forces to support the victory. Allied and Russian forces were revived only temporarily by Romania's entry into the war on August 27. German forces came to the aid of embattled Austro-Hungarian units in Transylvania and Bucharest fell to the Central Powers on December 6. Meanwhile, unrest grew in Russia as the Tsar remained at the front. Empress Alexandria's increasingly incompetent rule 
drew protests and resulted in the murder of her favorite, Rasputin, at the end of 1916. In March 1917, demonstrations in Petrograd culminated in the abdiction of Tsar Nicholas II and the appointment of a weak provincial government which shared powers with Petrograd Soviet socialists. This arrangement led to confusion and chaos both at the front and at home. The army became increasingly ineffective. Discontent and the weakness of the provincial government led to a rise in the popularity of the Bolshevik party led by Vladimir Lenin, which demanded an immediate end to the war. The successful armed uprising by the Bolsheviks of November was followed in December by an armistice and negotiations with Germany. At first, the Bolsheviks refused the German terms, but then German troops began marching across the Ukraine unopposed. A new government acceded to the Treaty of Brett Litoskok on March 3, 1918. This treaty ceded vast territories, including Finland, the Baltic provinces, parts of Poland, and Ukraine to the Central Powers. Despite this enormous apparent German success, the manpower required for German occupation of former Russian territories may have contributed to the failure of the spring offensive and secured relatively little food or other material. With the adoption of the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, the Entente no longer existed. The Allied powers led a small-scale invasion of Russia, partly to stop Germany from exploiting Russian resources and, to a lesser extent, to support the Whites as opposed to the Reds in the Russian Civil War. Allied troops landed in Arkhangelsk and in Ladiskok as part of the North Russian intervention. In December 1916, after ten brutal months of the Battle of Vendrom and a successful offensive against Romania, the Germans attempted to negotiate a peace with the Allies. Soon after, the U.S. President Woodrow Wilson attempted to intervene as a peacemaker, asking for a note from both sides to state their demands. Lord George's War Cabinet considered the German offer to be a ploy to create division amongst the Allies. After initial outrage and much deliberation, they took Wilson's note as a separate effort, signaling that the United States was on the verge of entering the war against Germany following the submarine outrages. While the Allies debated a response to Wilson's offer, the Germans chose to rebuff it in favor of a direct exchange of views. Learning of the German response, the Allied governments were free to make clear demands in their response of January 14. They sought restoration of damages, the evacuation of occupied territories, 
reparations for France, Russia, and Romania, and the recognition of the principle of nationalities. This included the liberation of Italians, Slavs, Romanians, Czech Slovaks, and creation of a free and united Poland. On the question of security, the Allies sought guarantees that would prevent or limit future wars, complete with sanctions, as a condition of any peace settlement. The negotiations failed and the Entente powers rejected the German offer because Germany did not state any specific proposals. To Wilson, the Entente powers stated they would not start peace negotiations until the Central Powers evacuated all occupied Allied territories and provided indemnities for all damage which had been done. Events of 1917 proved decisive in ending the war, although their efforts were not fully felt until 1918. The British naval blockade began to have a serious impact on Germany. In response, in February 1917, the German general staff convinced Chancellor Theobald von Bethmann-Hallweg to declare unrestricted submarine warfare with the goal of starving Britain out of the war. German planners estimated that unrestricted submarine warfare would cost Britain a monthly shipping loss of 600,000 tons. The general staff acknowledged that the policy would almost certainly bring the United States into the conflict, but calculated that British shipping losses would be so high that they would be forced to sue for peace after five to six months before American intervention could make an impact. In reality, tonnage sunk rose above 500,000 tons per month from February to July. It peaked at 860,000 tons in April. After July, a newly reintroduced convoy system became extremely effective in reducing the U-boat threat. Britain was safe from starvation, while German industrial output fell and the United States troops joined the war in large numbers far earlier than Germany had anticipated. On May 3, 1917, during the Nivelle Offensive, the weary French 2nd Colonial Division, veterans of the Battle of Verdun, refused their orders, arriving drunk and without their weapons. Their officers lacked the means to punish an entire division, and harsh measures were not immediately implemented. Then, the French Army's mutinies afflicted an additional 54 French divisions and saw 20,000 men desert. The other Allied forces attacked but sustained tremendous casualties. However, appeals to patriotism and duty, as well as mass arrests and trials, encouraged the soldiers to return to defend their trenches although the French soldiers refused to participate in further offensive action. Robert Nivelle was removed from command by May 15th 
replaced by General Philippe Pitain, who suspended bloody large-scale frontal attacks. The victory of Austria-Hungary and Germany at the Battle of Caporetto led the Allies to convene the Rapallo Conference in which they formed the Supreme War Council to coordinate planning. Previously, British and French armies had operated under separate commands. In December, the Central Powers signed an armistice with Russia. This released large numbers of German troops for use in the West. With German reinforcement and new American troops pouring in, the outcome was to be decided on the Western Front. The Central Powers knew that they could not win a protracted war, but they held high hopes for success based on a final quick offensive. Further, the leaders of the Central Powers and the Allies became increasingly fearful of social unrest and revolution in Europe. Both sides urgently sought a decisive victory. In 1917, Emperor Charles I of Austria secretly attempted separate peace negotiations with Clemencia and his wife's brother Sixtus in Belgium as an intermediary without the knowledge of Germany. Italy opposed the proposal. When the negotiations failed, his attempt was revealed to Germany, resulting in a diplomatic catastrophe. In March and April 1917, at the first and second battles of Gaza, German and Ottoman forces stopped the advance of the Egyptian Expeditionary Force, which had begun in August 1960 at Romani. At the end of October, the Sinai and Palestine campaign resumed when General Edmund Albany's 20th Corps and 21st Corps and Desert Mounted Corps won the battles of Beersheba. Two Ottoman armies were defeated a few weeks later at the Battle of Mugger Ridge, and in early December, Jerusalem was captured following another Ottoman defeat at the Battle of Jerusalem in 1917. About this time, Frederick Freer Kress von Christian was relieved of his duties at the 8th Army's commander, replaced by Divjad Pasha a few months later the commander of the Ottoman army in Palestine. Erich von Frankian was replaced by Otto Lindemann von Sanders. Early in 1918, the front line was extended into the Jordan Valley, which continued to be occupied following the first Transjordan and the second Transjordan attack by British Empire forces in March and April 1918 into the summer. During March most of the Egyptian Expeditionary Force, British's infantry, and Yeomanary Cavalry were sent to fight on the Western Front as a consequence of the Spring Offensive. They were replaced by Indian Army units. During several months of reorganization and training during the summer, 
a number of attacks were carried out on sections of the Ottoman front line. These pushed the front line north to more advantageous positions in preparation for an attack and acclimatized the new uh, arrived Indian Army infantry. It was not until the middle of September that the integrated force was ready for large-scale operation. The reorganization, Egyptian Expeditionary Force, with an additional mounted division, broke Ottoman forces at the Battle of Megadil in September 1918. In two days, the British and Indian infantry, supported by a creeping barrage, broke the Ottoman front line and captured the headquarters of the 8th Army of the Ottoman Empire at Tolkarum and continues trench lines at Sabor, Ara, and the 7th Army headquarters at Nablus. The Desert Mounted Corps rode through the break in the front line created by the infantry and during virtually continuous operations by Australian Light Horse, British Mounted Yeomanry, Indian Lancers, and New Zealand Mounted Rifle Brigades in the Jezreel Valley, they captured Nazareth, Afula, and Bician, Jenin, along with Haifa on the Mediterranean coast, and Dara east of Jordan River on the Hajiz Railway, Samaka and Tiberias on the Sea of Galilee were captured on the ways northward to Damascus. Meanwhile, Chateau's force of Australian Lice Horse, New Zealand Mounted Rifles, Indian, British West Indies, and Jewish Infantry captured the crossings of the Jordan Rivers, Assault, Amman, and Ziza, most of the 4th Army. The Armistice of Murdos, signed at the end of October, ended hostilities with the Ottoman Empire when fighting was continuing north of Aleppo. At the outbreak of the war, the United States pursued a policy of non-intervention, avoiding conflict while trying to broker a peace. When German U-boats sank the British liner RMS Lusitania on May 7, 1915, with 128 Americans among the dead, President Woodrow Wilson insisted that America is too proud to fight but demanded an end to attacks on passenger ships. Germany complied. Wilson unsuccessfully tried to mediate a settlement. However, he also repeatedly warned that the United States would not tolerate unrestricted submarine warfare in the violation of international law. The former President Theodore Roosevelt denounced Germany acts as piracy Wilson was narrowly re-elected in 1916. As his supporters emphasized, he kept us out of war. In January 1917, Germany resumed unrestricted submarine warfare. Realizing it would mean American entry, the German foreign minister in the Zimmermann telegram invited Mexico to join the war as Germany's ally against the United States. In return, 
the Germans would finance Mexico's war and help it recover the territories of Texas, New Mexico, and Arizona. Britain intercepted the message and presented it to the U.S. Embassy in Britain. From there it was made its way to President Wilson, who released the Zimmerman note to the public, and the Americans saw it as Cassius Belay, a call for war. Wilson called on anti-war elements to end all wars by winning this one and eliminating militarism from the globe. He argued that war was so important that the U.S. had to have a voice in the peace conference. After the sinking of seven U.S. merchant ships by submarines and the publications of the Zimmerman Telegraph, Wilson called for war on Germany, which the U.S. Congress declared on April 6, 1917. The United States was never formally a member of the Allies, but became a self-styled associate power. The United States had a small army, but after the passage of the Selective Service Act, it drafted 2.8 million men, and by summer 1918 was sending 10,000 fresh soldiers to France every day. In 1917, the U.S. Congress gave U.S. citizenship to Puerto Ricans when they drafted to participate in World War I as part of the Jones Act. Germany had miscalculated, believing it would be many more months before American soldiers would arrive and that their arrival could be stopped by U-boats. The United States Navy sent a battleship group to Scapa Flow to join with the British Grand Fleet destroyers to Queenstown, Ireland and submarines to help guard convoys. Several regiments of U.S. Marines were also dispatched to France. The British and French wanted American units used to reinforce their troops already on the battle lines and not to waste scarce shipping on bringing over supplies. General John P. Pershing, American Expeditionary Force commander, refused to break up American units to be used as reinforcements for British Empire and French units. As an exception, he did allow African-American combat regiments to be used in French divisions. The Harlem Hellfighters fought as, fought as part of the French 16th Division, earning a unit Croix de Guerre for their actions at Chateau Thierry, Bella Wood, and Sechalt. American Expeditionary Forces doctrine called for the use of frontal assaults, which had long since been discarded by British Empire and French commanders because of the large loss of life. The German Spring Offensive of 1918 German General Erich Ludendorff drew up plans, codenamed Operation Michael, for the 1918 offensive on the Western Front. The Spring Offensive sought to divide the British and French forces with a series of feigns and advances. The German leadership hoped to end the war before significant U.S. forces arrived. 
The operation commenced on 21, the 21st of March, 1918, with an attack on British forces near Amiens. German forces achieved unprecedented advances of 60 kilometers. British and French trenches were penetrated using novel infiltration tactics, also named Hüter tactics, after General Oscar von Hüter. Previously, attacks had been characterized by long military bombardments and massive assaults. However, in the spring offenses of 1918, Ludendorff used artillery only briefly and infiltrated small groups of infantry at weak points. They attacked command logistics areas and bypassed points of serious resistance. More heavily armed infantry then destroyed these isolated positions. German success relied greatly on the element of surprise. The front moved to within 120 kilometers or 75 miles of Paris. Three heavy Krupp railway guns were fired 183 shells on the capital, causing many Parisians to flee. The initial offensive was so successful that Kaiser Wilhelm II declared March 24th a national holiday. Many Germans thought victory was near. After heavy fighting, however, the offensive was halted. Lacking tanks or motorized utility, the Germans were unable to consolidate their guns. The situation was not helped by the supply lines now being stretched as a result of the rapid advance over devastated ground. General Foch pressed to use the arriving American troops as individual replacements, whereas Pershing sought to field American units as an independent force. These units were assigned to the depleted French and British Empire commands on March 28th. A Supreme War Council of Allied Forces was created at Dolan's Conference on November 5, 1917. General Foch was appointed as Supreme Commander of the Allied Forces. Haig, Pétain, and Pershing retained tactical control of the respective armies. Foch assumed a coordinating rather than a directing role, and the British, French, and U.S. commands operated largely independently. Following Operation Michael, Germany, Germany operate, launched Operation Georgette against the northern English Channel ports. The Allies halted the drive after limited territorial gains by Germany. The German army to the south then conducted Operation Blucher and York, pushing broadly towards Paris. Operation Marnie was launched on July 15th, attempting to encircle Reims and beginning the Second Battle of the Marne. The resulting counterattack, starting the Hundred Days Offensive, marked the first successful Allied offensive of the war. On July 20th, the Germans were back across the Marne at their starting lines, having achieved little. Following this last phase of the war in the West, the German army never regained its initiative. German casualties between March and April 1918 
were 270,000, including many highly trained stormtroopers. Meanwhile, Germany was falling apart at home. Anti-war marches became frequent and morale in the army fell. Industrial output was 53% of its 1913 levels. In the late spring of 1980, three new states were formed in the South Caucasus. The First Republic of Armenia, the Abrajan Democratic Republic, and the Democratic Republic of Georgia, which declared their independence from the Russian Empire. Two other minor entities were established, the Central Caspian Dictatorship and Southwest Caucasian Republic. The former was liquidated by Abrajan in the autumn of 1980, and the latter by a joint Armenian-British task force in early 1919. With the withdrawal of the Russian armies from the Caucasus front in the winter of 1917-1918, the three major republics braced for an imminent Ottoman advance, which commenced in the early months of 1918. Solidarity was briefly maintained when the Transcaucasian Federative Republic was created in the spring of 1918. But this collapsed in May when the Georgians asked and received protection from Germany and the Azerbaijans concluded a treaty with the Ottoman Empire that was more akin to a military alliance. Armenia was left to fend for itself and struggled for five months against the threat of a full-fledged occupation by the Ottoman Turks. The Allied counteroffensive, known as the Hundred Day Offensive, began on August 8, 1918, with the Battle of Amines. The battle involved over 400 tanks and 120,000 British, Dominion, and French troops, and by the end of its first day, a gap of 15 miles or 24 kilometers long had been created in the German lines. The defenders displayed a marked collapse in morale causing Erich Ludorf to refer to this day as the Black Day of the German Army. After advance as far as 14 miles or 23 kilometers, German resistance stiffened and the battle was concluded on August 12. Rather than continuing the Amiens battle past the point of initial success, as has been done so many times in the past, the Allies shifted their attention elsewhere. Allied leaders had now realized that to continue an attack after resistance had hardened was a waste of lives, and it was better to turn a line than try to roll over it. They began to underattack attacks in quick order to take advantage of successful advances on flanks, then broke them off when each attack lost its initial impetus. British Dominion and smaller attached U.S. forces launched the next phase of the campaign with the Battle of Albert on August 21st. This marked the beginning of the Second Battle of the Somme. The assault was widened by French and then further British forces in the following days. During the last week of August, the pressure along the 70-mile or 113-kilometer front against the enemy was heavy and unrelenting. From German accounts, 
Each day was spent in bloody fighting against an ever and again on storming enemy, and nights passed without sleep in retirements to new lines. Faced with these advances, on September 2nd, Obster Hirschting issued orders to withdraw back into the Hindenburg Line in the south. This ceded, without a fight, the salient seized the previous April, according to Ludendorff. We had to admit the necessity to withdraw the entire front from the Scarp to the Vassel. September saw the Allied advance to Hindenburg Line in the north and center. The Germans continued to fight, strong rearguard actions, and launching numerous counterattacks on lost positions, but only a few succeeded, and then only temporarily. Contested towns, villages, heights, and trenches in the screening positions and outposts of the Hindenburg Line continued to fall to the Allies, with the British Expeditionary Forces alone taking 30,000 prisoners in the last week of September. And on September 24th, an assault by both British and French came within two miles or 3.2 kilometers of St. Quentin. The Germans were now completely back in the Hindenburg Line. In nearly four weeks of fighting beginning August 8th, over 100,000 German prisoners were taken, 75,000 by the British Expeditionary Force and the rest by the French. As the black day of the German army, the German high command realized that the war was lost and made attempts to reach a satisfactory end. The day after the battle, Ludendorff said, We cannot win the war anymore, but we must not lose it either. On August 11th, he offered his resignation to the Kaiser, who refused it, replying, I see that we must strike a balance. We have nearly reached the limit of our powers of resistance. The war must be ended. On August 13th at Spa, Hindenburg, Ludorf, and Chancellor and Foreign Minister Hintz agreed that the war could not be ended militarily and on the following day, the German Crown Council decided that victory in the field was now most improbable. Austria and Hungary warned they could only continue the war until December, and Ludendorff recommended immediate peace negotiations. Prince Ruprecht warned Prince Max of Baden, Our military situation has deteriorated so rapidly that I no longer believe we can hold out over the winter. It is even possible that a catastrophe will come earlier. On September 10th, Hindenburg urged peace moves to Emperor Charles of Austria, and Germany appealed to the Netherlands for mediation. On September 14th, Austria sent a note to all belligerents and neutrals suggesting a meeting for peace talks on neutral soil. And on September 15th, Germany made a peace offer to Belgium. Both peace offers were rejected, and on September 24th, OHL informed the leaders in Berlin that armistice talks were inevitable. The final assault on the Hindenburg Line began with the Meuse-Ergon Offensive, 
launched by French and American troops on September 26th. The following week, cooperating French and American units broke through the Champagne at the Battle of Blanc Ridge, forcing Germans off the commanding heights and closing towards the Belgian frontier. On October 8th, the line was pierced again by British and Dominion troops at the Battle of Cambria. The German army had to shorten its front and use the Dutch frontier as an anchor to fight rearguard actions as it fell back towards Germany. When Bulgaria signed a separate armistice on September 29th, Ludendorff, having been under great stress for months, suffered something similar to a breakdown. It was evident that Germany could no longer mount a successful defense. Meanwhile, news of Germany's impending military defeat spread throughout the German armed forces. The threat of mutiny was rife. Admiral Reinhard Scheer and Ludendorff decided to launch a last attempt to restore the valor of the German Navy. Knowing that the government of Prince Maximilian of Baden would veto any such action, Ludendorff decided not to inform him. Nevertheless, word of the impending assault reached sailors at Kiel, many refusing to be part of a naval offensive which they believed to be suicidal, rebelled, and they were arrested. Ludendorff took the blame. The, dis the Kaiser dismissed him on October 26th. The collapse of the Balkans meant that Germany was about to lose its main supplies of oil and food. Its reserves had been used up, even as U.S. troops kept arriving at the rate of 10,000 per day. The Americans supplied more than 80% of Allied oil during the war, meaning no such loss of supplies could affect the Allied effort. After suffering over 6 million casualties, Germany moved towards peace. Prince Maximilian of Baden took charge of the new government as Chancellor of Germany to negotiate with the Allies. Telegraphic negotiations with President Wilson began immediately, in the vain hope that he would offer better terms than the British and French. Instead, Wilson demanded the abdication of the Kaiser. There was no resistance when the Social Democrat Philip Schiedermann on November 9th declared Germany to be a republic. Imperial Germany was dead. A new Germany had been born. The Weimar Republic. The collapse of the Central Powers came swiftly. Bulgaria was the first to sign the armistice on September 29, 1918, at Saloniko. On October 30th, the Ottoman Empire capitulated at Modros, signing the Armistice of Modros. On October 24th, the Italians began to push that rapidly recovered territory lost after the Battle of Caparado. This culminated in the Battle of Itiaro Menito, which marked the end of the Austro-Hungarian army as an effective fighting force. The offensive also triggered the disintegration of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. During the last week of October, declarations of independence were made in Budapest, Prague, and Zagreb. On October 29th, 
the imperial authorities asked Italy for armistice, but the Italians continued advancing, reaching Trento, Udine, and Tresti. On November 3rd, Austria-Hungary sent a flag of truce to ask for an armistice. The terms, arranged by telegraph with the Allied authorities in Paris, were communicated to the Austrian commander and accepted. The armistice with Austria was signed in the Villa Gistu near Padua on November 3rd. Austria and Hungary signed separate armistice following the overthrow of the Habsburg monarchy. Following the outbreak of the German Revolution of 1918-1919, a republic was proclaimed on November 9th. The Kaiser fled to the Netherlands. On November 11th, at 5 a.m., an armistice with Germany was signed in a railroad carriage at Compagnie at 11 a.m. on November 11, 1918, the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, a ceasefire came into effect. During the six hours between the signing of the armistice and its taking effect, opposing armies on the Western Front began to withdraw from their positions, but fighting continued along many areas of the front as commanders wanted to capture territory before the war ended. Canadian Private George Lawrence Price was shot by a German sniper at 10.57 and died at 10.58. American Henry Gunther was killed 60 seconds before the armistice came into force while charging astonished German troops who were aware of the armistice was nearly upon them. The last British soldier to die was Private George Edwin Ellison. The occupation of Rhineland took place following the armistice. The occupying armies consisted of American, Belgian, British, and French forces. In November 1918, the Allies had ample supplies of men and material to invade Germany. Yet at the time of the armistice, no Allied forces had crossed the German frontier. The Western Front was still almost 900 or 1400 kilometers from Berlin, and the Kaiser's armies had retreated from the battlefield in gored order. These factors enabled Hindenburg and other senior German leaders to spread the story that the armies had not really been defeated. This resulted in the stab in the back legend, which attributed Germany's defeat not to its inability to continue fighting, even though up to a million soldiers were suffering from the 1918 flu pandemic and unfit to fight, but to the public's failure to respond to its patriotic calling and supposed international sabotage of the war effort particularly by Jews, Socialists, and Bolsheviks. No other war had changed the map of Europe so dramatically. Four empires disappeared. The German, Austro-Hungarian, Ottoman, and Russian. Four dynasties, together with their ancillary atrocities, all fell after the war 
the Hoselerns, the Habsburgs, the Romanovs, and the Ottomans. Belgium and Serbia were badly damaged, as was France, with 1.4 million soldiers dead, not counting other casualties. Germany and Russia were similarly affected. The formal state of war between the two sides persisted for another seven months until the signing of the Treaty of Versailles with Germany on 28, June 28, 1919. However, the American public opposed ratification of the treaty, mainly because of the League of Nations the treaty created. The United States did not formally end its involvement in the war until the Knox-Porter Resolution was signed in 1921. After the Treaty of Versailles, treaties with Austria-Hungary, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empires were signed. However, the negotiations of the latter treaties with the Ottoman Empire was followed by strife, known as the Turkish War of Independence and a final peace treaty between the Allied powers and the country that would shortly become the Republic of Turkey was not signed until July 24, 1923 at Lausanne. Some war memorials date the end of the war as being when the Versailles Treaty was signed in 1919, which was when many of the troops serving abroad finally returned to their home countries. By contrast, most commemorations of the war's end concentrate on the armistice of November 11, 1918. Legally, the formal peace treaties were not complete until the last, the Treaty of Lausanne, was signed. Under its terms, the Allied forces divested Constantinople on August 23rd. 1923. After the war, the Paris Peace Conference imposed a series of peace treaties on the Central Powers, officially ending the war. The 1919 Treaty of Versailles dealt with Germany and building on Wilson's 14th point brought into being the League of Nations on June 28, 1919. In the signing of the treaty, Germany acknowledged all the loss and damage to which the Allied and Associate governments and their nationals had been subjected as a consequence of the war imposed on them by the aggression of Germany and her allies. This clause was also inserted mutinous mutatatis into the treaty signed by other members of the Central Powers. This clause later became known to Germans as the War Guilt Clause. The Treaties of Paris Peace Conference also required the defeated powers to pay reparations. The Treaty of Versailles caused enormous bitterness in Germany, which nationalist movements, especially the Nazis, exploited with conspiracy theory they called the Dauschelitzgrade, or the Stab in the Back Legend. Runaway inflations of the 1920s contributed to the economic collapse of the Weimar Republic and the payment 
of reparations was suspended in 1931, following the stock market crash of 1929, and the beginnings of the Great Depression worldwide. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.